Welcome to the Life Coaching with Ryan podcast, episode 14. So today's episode is uh, the first in a series with my friend Selena Reams. We talk about the mind-body connection. Uh, we define it to talk about why it's important to consider it. And specifically in this first episode, we talk about the influence of breath um, and for some meditation on uh, their mind and their body. Please enjoy. Well, in that case, shall we start? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Well, I would like to welcome everyone to this series of episodes uh, on improving the mind-body connection. And I would like to introduce you to my guest, Selena Reams. Say hi. Hi, Ryan. It's so great to be here with you. I've just really been enjoying just the chat we've had, just warming up and, and getting ready for the show. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. We've already been hanging out for an hour. <laughs> it's great, though. It's so fun. <laughs> it is. And I'm sure we could hang out longer if we didn't have, uh, if we didn't have a time limit. Yes. So, uh, I, I was hoping that you could just introduce yourself to the, to the sure. people. Yeah. Uh, a little bit about what you do, who you are, and then, uh, then we'll get going. Great. Thank you, Ryan. Um, so just for your listeners, my name is Selena Reams, and I'm what I like to call a mind-body educator. So I have a really long background in body work, in massage therapy, in cranial sacral therapy, somatic experience, all that stuff. You don't need to know what it means. But um, just say a long experience in body work. I'm also in my licensure, I'm an occupational therapist, a mental health occupational therapist. So what I do is I essentially combine a lot of those things from, from my lifetime of experiences and work in different settings. And... I now do still body work, which I love because it informs everything I'm doing and the people I'm working with. But I also do a lot of mind-body education, working with mindfulness meditation practices, and um, also doing you know, a lot of kind of pushing out into the online course world as well, which is such an interesting journey. <laughs> yeah, which is actually how we met, which is, yes. a, is a lot of fun. Yes, totally fun. Yeah. Lots of good work. <laughs> lots, lots of good work. Yeah, that was a fantastic weekend. And, uh, oh, super. Got, got another one coming up pretty soon. Yes, we do. <laughs> so uh, looking forward to that. Um, so what does mind-body mean to you? Yeah, thanks for asking. I, I love getting an opportunity to talk about this. So um, to me, mind-body is really what, what I feel like we've done in, in our culture is we have separated out mind from body, from spirit, from emotion, and really teased apart the physicality and the rational brain in how we look at things, how we approach our world. Our entire culture sort of revolves around this very concrete, tangible things of the human body and the rational, logical, linear mind, so that left side of our brain. And what I say is, you know, that's awesome. And those things are amazing, but it's one part of our resource, Ryan. And if we can engage in what's the integration of what's going on between our bodies. And as one of my teachers used to say, he's like, for years, I thought my head was just, my body was just designed to carry my head around. Mm. But actually, <laughs> they're designed to support each other and move across the, in an integrated way. And so if we can expand our understanding of, of the stuff that our body's giving us, the information, the deep wisdom, then we can live from a more, much more powerful resource place. Because when we're just working from that rational, we have just a piece of the picture, a very valuable piece, but right. it's just one piece. So we can really expand our capacities by, by connecting the mind and the body and all the information they have to share with each other. 
Yes, the, the bird behind you is really into that. Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. No, no, it's quite all right. I, uh, <laughs> you, had, you had asked me what my perspective of mind-body was when we were chatting yeah. earlier. And so just to highlight, um, for me, it's about understanding that there is, there's an inexorable link between our mind and our body, mm-hmm. our, our brain is a part of our body. And I think sometimes we, we lose that. Um, I once yeah. had a teacher who said, oh, when you point to yourself, where, where do you point? You say me. Do you say me? Or do you say me? You say me. You point at your chest. You point at what's in the center of you. And that could just be a literal physical thing. That's where most of your mass is. But it's interesting that so many of us think of ourselves as uh, in our brains. Um, but th- this is part of ourselves too. And, yeah. and I think that, uh, people don't always understand that what's happening with the, how much what happens with their body is affecting their mind, whether it's nutrition, mm-hmm. um, fitness, uh, whatever. Um, it could be like, I, I told the story of, uh, how I drank a bunch of caffeine and wasn't really, didn't really know that I had, I wasn't aware when I was doing it. I just, was, this tea is delicious. And I downed this yeah. whole thing. And as someone who doesn't drink a lot of caffeine got really, really wired and uh, my brain interpreted that wiredness as anxiety and I had suddenly I was overwhelmed by this feeling that something was wrong and it required me to come to awareness of the fact I'd consumed a lot of caffeine and and so again like how that my mind affected my or my body rather affected my mental state and similarly your mental state affects your body you start to feel sick to your stomach when you're upset things like that so there's this mind-body connection and when we're able to increase our awareness of both sides and how they impact each other I think that gives us a way into and out of situations absolutely I completely agree Cool. And, and it's, I mean, it's evidence in our, you know, it's being evidence in medicine now. So it's, it's, you know, it's like we realize that so many of our disease processes, Ryan, are linked to what's happening in our mental state and how we're integrate that, integrating or not integrating that into our bodies. So when we're in this constant cycle of stress response, yeah, cortisol, you know, which, man. which is happening in the brain, cortisol. we've got norepinephrine, adrenaline, cortisol. And when that's coursing through our systems on a regular basis, which most of us have, this sort of chronic level of stress, we're not getting into a repair, re- rejuvenate state. You know, what is that doing? You know, so now science and medicine are showing us the impacts of sustained states, mental states. So yeah. we know, we know, and we know the opposite. So the good news is we know the opposite. We know we have that neuroplasticity where we can develop different brain patterns and it impacts our body and our physiology and our health. So it's yeah. a super exciting time to be exploring these things. Yeah, I agree. And a big thing for me is heart rate variability, which I want to talk a little bit about later. But before we get into any details, yeah. uh, I'd like to overview real quick where we're going. Uh, <laughs> you and I were having a conversation. Gosh, this feels like a month ago. It can't have been a month ago, but it was a little while ago, at least a few weeks, um, where we were chatting about wellness and um, how to help people. And and you said something to me that immediately resonated, and that was that you have three major techniques, or not techniques, but modalities, I suppose, that you tap into um, mm-hmm. for yourself and in helping others. And they just happen to align almost identically with the first three things I do with any of my coaching clients, my life coaching clients. So I was like, oh, we have to talk about this. <laughs> and, and that was uh, breathing, meditation. Um, I kind of slashed those breathing slash meditation because mm-hmm. I want to talk about what distinguishes them and how they're the same. Um, and talking about uh, journaling and talking about movement. Mm-hmm. 
so I, why, why is it that for, for you, those particular three things are so important? Yeah, great question. And I think these are things that are being used um, so impactfully by, by people in the world, and I myself included in that. Um, you know, just to give a quick overview, I know we're going to dive into each of these, but, yeah. but they complement each other. Um, and I, I try, I mean, I have a morning routine where I try to do all three of them. When I'm really firing on all cylinders, Ryan, which, which is always our goal, I'm, I'm, I'm spending, I get up, I make my tea, and while it's heating up, I do actually just a few minutes of physical activity just to get myself going, connect into my body, and that necess- not necessarily my exercise for the day, but just to get things going. Sure. And then I meditate for 20 minutes, and then I journal. For- Good for you. And sometimes I set a timer on the journaling, and sometimes if I have more, I, I, I might expand that. But yeah, so I found that just have been incredible stabilizers. They've they help me start off my day in the right mindset, and I completely feel the difference, Ryan, if I don't do those things. It changes the course of my whole day. <laughs> do you Isn't feel that? Do you feel that? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it's so funny because I was reflecting on how I've been feeling the last month, which frankly has been pretty wonky. Yeah. Um, I've really been in and out of different uh, emotional and physical states, mm-hmm. and I was I was thinking to myself, well, what's different? And what's different is for nearly three solid months at the beginning of the year, January, February, March of 2018, Uh I had a very distinct practice of waking up, having a a set of meditation, start with a breathing meditation and ended with just a stillness awareness meditation that led into um, some type of small workout. So basically it was five to 10 minutes of meditation, five to 10 minutes of physical activity. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I would just focus on uh, my nutrition, which actually to start was just water and being aware of my body and what it needed before I chose to eat. So I didn't eat automatically. I actually think about okay, is this a morning where I just need some protein? Okay, I'll just have some eggs. Is this a morning where I really feel like I need some carbs in my body? Okay, let's have some oats. Mm-hmm. Um, and just being very aware and conscious in that way. And what I've been doing recently is my sleep patterns have been all over the place. I don't meditate consistently when I wake up. I have my 30-second meditation that I love to talk about that I do throughout the day multiple times a day. Um, but it's not the same. That's, yeah. that's like slapping a Band-Aid on or doing patchwork uh, as opposed to laying the foundation. So I hear you 100% sure. yeah. um, how different it is to really do your practices every day. I think it's great also, Ryan. You know, we have so much research now supporting these practices. But what I always say is the proof is in the pudding. So, so what happens if you really want to figure out what something's doing for you in your life? Stop doing it, which is, yeah. exact, which is exactly what you've just said. Like I've, yeah. I've completely altered this, this really nurturing routine that I had, and I feel the difference pretty quickly, I bet. <laughs> oh, and, and the catch-22, or not the catch-22, but the internal conflict, of course, that happens is when we feel like crap, we don't want to do the activity that's going to make us feel better because we're demotivated. And, and so there is this... Um, this need, and I've talked about it multiple times before in my book club, and uh, in another po- in my podcast series with with Moon, talking about ownership mm-hmm. of growth, is that there's yeah. hot self control and there's cool or cold self control, and that's you know the will willpower is the cool and or not willpower, but uh, discipline is the cool self control. Mm-hmm. And um, hot self-control is like anger and shame. And then Mm. sometimes we have to kind of hack ourselves and make a choice to say, this is something I want. How am I going to get it? Well, either I need to fire myself up to get it (laughs) or I need to remind myself coolly, hey, remember how good you felt when you did this other thing? Mm. Even if you don't feel like taking the action, take the action. 
Mm. And then you'll, then you'll get the results. So anyway. Yeah, no, that's a really neat distinction. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I'm, I'm big. Uh, Kelly McGonigal's Willpower Instinct is just such a fantastic book. And mm. uh, she does a great job of getting into, in fact, as I'm reading it, I'm going, oh my God, again, these are all the things that I value so much. And she <laughs> talks about these three things specifically. Yeah. Right? That's one of the things I, and movement. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. ah, and it, and she yeah. gives it in such a simple way. Cause I, part of the reason I wanted to have this conversation and what we started to talk about before kind of the official recording started yeah. was, um, there's this sense that these things need to be complex or complicated, or there's some ideal that we have to reach, but there are ways to do all three of these things where they take five minutes or less per yeah. day and have, can have a huge impact on our lives. So I want to get Absolutely. into that. Absolutely. Yeah. I always say that when I teach my mindfulness meditation classes, like start where you are. If you can do five minutes a day and that's all you can do, let's start. Let's start creating those habits. Just start right where you are. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I absolutely agree. <laughs> awesome. Well, with that, then let's, let's dive in. To okay, great. System nitty gritty. So I would love to start with breathing because I think mm. it, it is sometimes, I don't want to say the most misunderstood, but Actually, I kind of think it may be the most misunderstood. Hmm. Um, so I am curious. Well, okay. So I know we we want to talk about the influence of breath and mindful practice on the body um, mm -hmm. and the you know the mind. Uh, I'm curious what your particular practice is though with breathing and meditation. Yeah. So right now in my practice and I, and I do, you know, over time we kind of evolve and, and do things differently. But right now at this point in time, what I'm really focusing on are two things. I think about, you know, short practices that we can utilize if we're in a stressful situation or we start to feel ourselves getting activated. And if we can catch that on the earlier end, then we have a lot more tools we can use than if we're already over and we flipped our lid, as Dan Siegel mm. talks about, you know. So yeah. then it's really hard to come back. But if we start to tune into our body sensations and we know like, oh, I'm getting triggered. And I've been doing that, honestly, a lot in the last few days. <laughs> so I've really, I've really had to use these tools a lot, which is great. Um, so I think about it that way. So those are quick little things that we can do and breath can really drop us into that sort of more restorative relaxation response or what we call the parasympathetic nervous system, part of our automat auto autonomic nervous system. So, and then I also think about using breath in a more formal practice. And I call a formal practice like when we sit down or intentionally set aside time out of our regular life to focus on meditation or breathing or some kind of mindfulness practice. So I use them in two different arenas um, and I teach them in two different arenas. When I'm in a, when I'm in a challenging spot and I need to just get myself calmed down, whether it's I'm getting triggered in traffic or I'm getting triggered by the news or conversation. One of the ones I love to use is the 7-Eleven. Are you familiar with that one? No, I'm not. Please tell us. Oh, okay. So there, yeah. these are, a lot of these are just variations on other ones. So it may be similar, but yeah. I love it because it's simple. Like we said, Ryan, and when we're stressed or in an activated state, the simpler, the better, because we're not going to be able to recall something complex. So yeah, yeah. we can even do it. So we'll inhale for a count of seven and then exhale for a count of 11. <laughs> so should we yes. do it together? Sure. Inhale for seven. And listeners, please do this along with us because it's such a great resource to be able to use. So cool. here we are, we're inhaling. And counting to seven. And then exhaling so that the exhale is slower and counting to 11. And as we're exhaling, we know that our breath is actually, the exhale takes us into a decreased heart rate. 
And that is what taps into our parasympathetic nervous system. So that actually by extending the out breath, so it's longer than the in breath, then we can drop into our parasympathetic nervous system, allow ourselves to recuperate and kind of come back into a more grounded centered baseline. So I love that little breath trick. You can do that a couple times or once, sometimes even once helps you drop into just a oh, more calm hugely. state. Yeah. yeah. In, in fact, um, my, the, when I talk about my 30 second meditation, it's based on that type of breathing yeah. and, and you can tell how long you've practiced it by how long you can exhale for <laughs> that whole time you were talking about the exhalation and explaining why it's so important. I was exhaling that whole time. Awesome. And so I, you, I don't, you practiced. <laughs> I, I pra well, that's the thing is again, it, it's so simple, but it's so tends to be so overcomplicated with all these techniques. But really what it boils yeah. down to is breathing as long as you can without tension in your chest, exhale yeah. as slowly as you can without feeling that slight panic your body goes into when you've been, <laughs> when you've emptied your lungs. And if yeah. you kind of find that range, mm -hmm. those both extend. And there yeah. are days I wake up and I hardly can do four seconds in, four seconds out no. when I first start breathing because whatever yeah. tension's in my body or whatever other systems are doing what they're needing to do. But yeah. if I just do that practice for 30 seconds, sometimes that 30 seconds is four rounds of breath, which is, you know, yeah. eight seconds, four in, four out, 32 seconds. Sometimes that 30 seconds is literally a single inhale and a single exhale and actually ends up being nearly a minute because I was able to inhale for 10, 10 plus seconds. And then I exhaled for yeah. plus seconds. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. this, this is a simple practice. Yeah, it doesn't have to be complicated and can be so powerful. I love that that part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's the informal. Are there any specific formal? Yeah. So informal practice, um, you know, we talk about having an anchor to focus the mind on, and that really helps us. I mean, we have such a frenetic energy in our brains, most all of us. I don't meet anybody just about who's like, oh, my mind is very empty and calm, you know? <laughs> I'm economist. <laughs> yeah, so there, there may be a couple of people on our planet, but I don't think there's many. So I, I, would, I would say we're safe to say that most of us struggle with this. And I remember one great teacher talking about, it's like having two monkeys on your back, like bickering yeah. all the time. And that's what's going on in our brains. It's like, we might be swinging from branch to branch, or we might just be replaying the same loop over and over and over again that we played. Man. Yeah, that we played yesterday and the day before. It's yeah. like, okay, there's nothing new going on here. Um, so we use these anchoring techniques, which is trying to just focus our mind on something that's we know is always going to be available to us. And that's why I love the breath, breath because yeah. the breath we can always come to. So I use that as an anchoring practice. So just following the movement of the air as it comes in through the nose, we can even drop into all the sensations because we know when we engage all of our senses or the most senses we can, we know it's going to impact our, our system the most. So feeling the temperature of the air, feeling that movement, expanding our lungs, feeling that proprioceptive feeling of the expansion of the breath and then the exhalation maybe listening for the sound. So I'll bring in all the different senses as we're talk about proprioception for a second because I don't know <laughs> everyone, I mean, I, I know what you mean, but. Yeah, so proprioception and, and interoception are, are, you know, we have all these senses, right? And, and proprioception and, and interoception are the least talked about yeah. um, in, in sort of the, you know, the sort of standard, you know, we talk about vision and sight, our sight and taste and smell and sound and um, touch. And proprioception is kind of our awareness 
of all of those as we're moving through space or navigating our environments. That's my understanding of it in an embodied yeah. sense. You know, I've, mm-hmm. you know, when I was in grad school, we studied like, here's your tough definition, but in an embodied sense, that's to me what it is. It's like, if I close my eyes, am I aware that my arm is here? You know? Yeah. Um, so, and then interoception is a, a newer term. And I love this because it's a lot of what we're training in mindfulness is body awareness. So it's being yeah. aware of what, your body feels like on the inside yeah. and that's foreign to a lot of us. A lot of us don't think about that stuff unless something's injured <laughs> you know, right. or not right. working. Then all of a sudden it's on our radar, but, but it's yeah. tuning into those things beforehand and learning the cues of our body. So yeah, that's actually, just over it. Yeah. A little, little preview before we get into journaling is um, there's a, a songwriter, uh, Pat Patterson, uh-huh. and he talks about writing from the seven senses And the first time I read it, I was like, okay, I'm really curious what he means. And so he went through the typical, you know, sight, sound, touch, Mm -hmm. smell, taste. Mm -hmm. And then he said, but there's also two other senses, movement sense and organic sense. Mm. And essentially what he was describing without the technical term was proprioception and interoception. That uh, when you write lyrics from this perspective of how does it feel like, he, he gave the example of imagine you're crawling through the basement and you have the feeling of the dirt on your skin, sure, but then you also have the sense of the nails jutting out of the boards above you oh. and you're kind of conscious of the, the danger as you move past these sharp objects and, and the sense of the movement of your body as you do it, like when you're sprinting, how that feels when you're sprinting and the air rushing against you, um, the sensations in your body, and that, that sense of movement when you're in a car going at 80 miles per hour, you have a yeah. sense of movement through space. And I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. And it also yeah. just happens to aid us uh, with mindfulness and awareness. Yeah, I love, I love those examples. I might use those in my teaching this week. Thank you. You said like my, I have an upset stomach or, or what I could say, I drank too much caffeine and I had this feeling of tension in my chest. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. It's, not, it's not touch in the traditional sense. It is that internal feeling. Yes, um, yes. In your body, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So, um, what? So we've already touched on this a little bit, but I, I'd like to highlight it a bit more. And that is, what are the benefit, the explicit benefits of choosing a, a meditation? Or because we didn't really talk about formal meditation, other than mm-hmm. the breathing exercises. Mm-hmm. I mean, one that I like to do that I mentioned in my conversation with Jenny sometimes is to intone, mm. um, because that also for me. It's not just whatever supposed ben- energetic benefit from, you know, like a yoga or Ayurvedic perspective, but uh, also just literally it brings me in contact with my body in a new way because of the, the sensations I get as I intone and I can feel it in different parts yeah. of my body as I move through a range of sound. Uh, yeah. so, so again, there's like, if you want to go with the woo-woo benefit, there's the woo-woo benefit, but there's also a very practical benefit of mm-hmm. now I become aware of my body in a new way as I feel the vibration of sound um, that brings me to that increased interoception. Yeah. Um, so what, what other benefits do you see in, in these well, practices? Yeah, and this is a great question. It's like, why, why, why is this all the rage? Why do you see mindfulness? Why, everywhere? <laughs> why, why is this everywhere? Why is it on every magazine now that I look at? And, um, and so just to be clear, these practices have been around their ancient practices. And what's happening now is we have this science backing these practices. And we have this amazing discovery in neuroscience, not long ago in the scope of history, that we have this neuroplasticity where, you know, we used to think our brains could only be 
con continuously wired as we're growing in adolescent up through adolescence. Now we know it's something we can do across our lifetime. So it's like now we have the science and this understanding because remember we're in this really rational linear culture. So it's like right. we need that evidence base to be like, oh yeah, we can do this. And so now hospitals are doing it and medical establishments and it's amazing. And um, so, but these benefits we know are just vast and really I see them as um, they can go as far as you want. It's just like a yoga practice can be very physical for you or it can, it can also you know, help you manage stress, learn to connect into your body and it can also go into a spiritual realm for you. So it kind of, you can meet it wherever is right for you and then you can go with it as far as you're inclined. Um, so I say the same thing with the mindfulness and meditation because they're very interlinked, yoga and mindfulness meditation. Um, but some of the benefits I see, and I'll speak from just a really um, experiential place, um, the benefits I see are capacity to be emotionally resilient, to mm. come to, to be able to like navigate these challenging times, to yeah. come, not that we're never going to go into a challenging emotion because, you know, when, then we wouldn't be human, but to be able to come back to center, to do what we call self-regulating. So I can go there and then I can come back for, from there. And I've been having to do a lot of this in the last few days, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> and we can come back from there and we can, look at those emotions and what message they have for us from a very centered place. And so we establish those things over time. It's, if I had to sum it up in one thing, to me, the value is knowing that I can handle whatever comes into my life and knowing that I have this steady internal state and not to say I don't, you know, come here and here and here, but knowing that I can come back and have a steady internal state of clarity and calmness, regardless of what's going on in my external environment. And so that to me is like the huge takeaway. And of course, there's lots of scientific pieces. You know, we're reducing stress, we're reducing blood pressure, right. um, we're improving outcomes for cardiac patients and stroke. Like every possible disease or illness is impacted positively by these with the MBSR and everything. So yeah. it's just huge. I mean, it's huge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Big word for me is resilience. Yeah. Um, and and then beyond that are things like balance and awareness. Yeah. I would say those tend to be kind of my my major takeaways with any type yeah. of practice like this. Yeah. Um, people use fancy words like equanimity and equanimous, and they're talking about a calm mind. It's like, yes, that is absolutely true. To what sure. end? To what end? Because sure. for some people, that is the end. They just want to feel better all the time. It's like, okay, great. But I like to accept that I'm going to feel shitty sometimes. And yeah. so how is this going to help me? And yeah. it's, it's not enough that I can feel better. How do I deal with the moment? And so... Mm -hmm. Again, Kelly McGonigal um, talking about uh, simple breathing exercises, increasing your heart rate variability, which is a fancy term for your heart being able to speed up and slow down mm -hmm. easily. Yeah. Because as you were, we were talking about cortisol and all that, there's a tendency for people in a state of stress to have their heart rate um, consistent but that's yeah. not actually what you want. You don't actually want to have a consistent heartbeat. You don't always want to be at 60 beats per minute or 70 beats per minute or whatever your resting heart rate is. You yeah. actually want to have a heart rate that naturally fluctuates mm -hmm. and that when it does go up, it comes down quickly Yeah, because that's how we move out of our stress response. That's how we move into our stress response, fight, flight, freeze, whatever it happens to be as we deal with our circumstances. Um, but then we want to be able to come out of it. And as we practice these types of breathing exercises, it increases our heart rate variability, which means we're more present in the moment of stress. And then we're also able to get out of the state of stress more quickly. So we're not living there. 
mm-hmm. and having its lasting impact on us, which actually the longer we're in stress, the harder it is to deal with stress. People would think, oh, yeah. it's like you learn some, you build up some resistance to it. It's like, no, no, no. Part, part of resilience is getting out of the stress response. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's coming back into our parasympathetic nervous system. And, and that's what we're designed to do. I mean, we're designed to go into acute stress. Like right. there's a stressor, my body reacts to that response, it sends off a cascade of chemicals, I'm preparing to fi- fight or flee, all my muscles are tense, my blood is diverting out of the central sort of organs and into my limbs. Yeah. And then we're designed to have action, so we either run or fight, and then we're designed to come back down into our parasympathetic and restore right. and recover and be at our baseline. And that's where all of our immune function and our digestion and our quite honestly, are reproductive things that yeah. things that are not critical in a, a life or death moment. Once that stressor is out of the way, then we're designed to come back and be able to kind of go back to those and take care of those things that help us. But yeah, it's, we're, we're designed for acute stress, not chronic stress. Exactly. And so we have these stressors that, you know, like, what are your stressors? What are our stressors for, you know, for our listeners? Like, and us, it's like financial burdens, relationship challenges, traffic, a job stress, you know, just political climate. And it's like stuff that doesn't get resolved like an acute stress does. So then we stay in that sustained state. So the mindfulness and the breathing and any other tools that we're pulling in, even journaling, um, movement exercise, allow us, I mean, essentially what we're doing is allowing our system to come back into that parasympathetic nervous system response. And then the mindfulness practices, we can also then learn okay, here's our patterns. We start to recognize our patterns. We start to really get familiar with the landscape of our minds, which can be scary sometimes. <laughs> but, but seeing that truth allows us to then go forward and be able to work with those patterns and sort of start disrupting and, and kind of taking the control that those have over our lives down a few notches or a lot of notches. Yeah, yeah I think we've kind of touched on attention and awareness, how breath can bring us to attention and also bring us to awareness of like what's going on again in our bodies and our circumstances, et cetera. And I also wanted to touch on allowing that just it is natural you just watch humans and they start to get frustrated. They catch themselves getting frustrated. They take a deep breath. Uh-huh. And whether that's passed on biologically or passed on culturally, that is a default Uh tool that we all have and the vast majority of us use. And part of that is allowing. I am in a circumstance. I have to accept the circumstance Mm -hmm. and I need to put myself in a state to deal with the circumstance as it's presenting itself instead of wanting it to be different. And so when I take that deep breath, I am preparing myself to deal with it as it is, as Mm. opposed to how I would want it to be. Yeah. I always call meditation and mindfulness practices, they are reality-based practices, right, Ryan? (laughs) Like, like that's what you're talking about. It's like, okay, I'm recognizing that this is the situation and my resisting it or wishing it were different just adds to the additional suffering of what's already a painful moment. So if we can not bring in that second arrow of judgment or trying to be different or should have, would have, could have, anytime you're saying I should or he should, you know you're going into that I'm not allowing for what's actually happening in this moment. Stop shitting all over yourself. Yeah, exactly. And that doesn't mean that we're um, okay with it. It doesn't mean we agree with it. And I think that's a really important distinction right now to make, especially at this time. It's like, it doesn't mean it's okay. And, but we are recognizing this is what's actually happening in this moment. And I need to move from that place of reality. And before we move on to journaling, I actually was hoping you could highlight a little more about what you mean by returning to the parasympathetic nervous system. 
Sure. Um, so we know, and I'll just do a real quick simple, we know we have um, as part of our autonomic nervous system, so we'll put that at the top, and then we have the two sides, and they work off each other. So we have the sympathetic nervous system, which we call kind of our gas pedal. It's what activates us to, like, in a stress response. So like, like I was saying earlier, like all the blood goes to our limbs because we're prepared to fight or flee. You know, we get really activated. We have a flood of chemicals that come into our system. And most of us know how that feels. Like sometimes your boss says something to you and you're like, ooh, and you have this flood of chemicals in your system. Um, and then our parasympathetic nervous system, which is our relaxation response, our restore response. So that's where blood comes, you know, our, our hormone, our chemical distribution is different. We can kind of come back into um, relaxation mode, our digestion re resumes, and it's our, it's our brake pedal. So, and we're designed to go in and out of those. Is that what you meant, Ryan? Or is there, some, meant, some, other, yeah. is there some other piece? Well, no, and, and, and not just, it's, to me, it's not just the brake pedal. It's also the coast. Yes, and it's the restore the place. Control, right? Yeah, so it's a brake, thank you for that distinction. It's a yeah. brake pedal, and it's more where we want to be in our baseline because that's where, you know, that's where our res restoration and our systems can function. And quite frankly, think about how effective is your brain when you're in a stress alarm response. Exactly. Right. So, exactly. so and this is where we're seeing mindfulness and meditation in um, corporate settings because, because, you know, most of us are in that sort of amped up state of stress. And so what happens at our productivity? We're not focused, we can't concentrate, we have no attention power, we're distracted by this and da da da. And, uh, you know, and our creativity goes down the tubes. So that's why we're seeing this in being pulled into the corporate setting because it's like, it affects bottom line. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so being in the more that parasympathetic nervous system, corporations are realizing like, Oh, I have a much happier, more productive crew here. <laughs> wow, go figure. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's studies even about work hours. Um, I heard about a, a recent report. Someone was saying that a four-hour work week meant more productive work hours. Um, or not a four-hour, sorry, a four-day work week meant more productive yeah. work hours across those four days than a five-day work week. Now, of course, I suspect if you to drill in, it depends on the type of job. Sure, absolutely. Um, but, uh, you know, it's just I, I had a, a friend who preferred working 10-hour days, four days a week instead of eight-hour days, five days a week. And that was a choice he made and it worked really well for him and he was very productive. Yeah. But again, it's going to depend on the person. None of these things are so simple as just sure. we will take one universal action and everything will work. But sure. I did find it's interesting. The implications are interesting. They are. And it's really neat to see they continue to expand. So it's, it's going to be really neat to keep tracking that. And especially as we start to study pr productivity in other countries and, um, and, and layering our understanding of um, happiness isn't the word I want because I think that that gets confused as well, but um, kind of base states of satisfaction. There yeah. are some countries where their full-time work week is 32 hours. Yeah. And that's, that's full-time and yeah. yet they are still as functional economically, at least internally, maybe not on the world stage, <laughs> but they are as functional economically within their country. Sure. So they have those different values. And so examining that and saying, well, what values do we want to honor? And would it be valuable to consider yeah. altering, et cetera? And again, it depends on the industry and it depends on the type of job. And I understand all that, but 
Absolutely. But I think, I mean, I think, yeah, one of the important pieces also that you're naming in here is, is being informed by other cultures and other countries and, and what they're doing and what's really working. And so not just having this zeroed in narrow focus that, that often tends to happen, but just like, oh, wow, what's going on in the world? <laughs> you know, that's also a technique of you know, perspective taking, zooming in our focus and zooming out our focus. So you're just doing that on a macro scale by talking about that, zooming yeah. in on what's happening in the U.S. and what's happening in the world and just letting those inform each other. And they're both useful. Yeah, absolutely. And here's a little preview of what's coming up next week. So uh, with that, I'd like to transition to um, journaling because Ooh. I think that, again, there's a tendency for people to think that journaling is either a diary or it's some thing where you need this special pre-printed gratitude journal or something like that. Uh, and I just don't think it needs to be quite that complicated. It can be, and actually I have some, of, some methods that I've been exposed to that I found very valuable. Um, but before we get into that, I'm curious if you have any preferred methods of journaling. Like the show? Consider subscribing through my Patreon at patreon.com slash lifecoachingwithryan. You'll get early access to shows and potentially a host of other rewards. Want more? You can also find me streaming on Twitch at twitch.tv slash lifecoachingwithryan, where I play some games and I continue the conversation. I'm pretty active on Instagram. You can find me at instagram.com slash educate for the number four underscore life. That's where I do my book club. I record the book club episodes live on Mondays, and then I post them to IGTV. Later, I post them on YouTube. See you next time.